0: Our scripture today has to do with going into the world. All the world. Let's listen to the 28th chapter of Matthew, verses 16 to 20. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. to the end of the age. This is often referred to as the Great Commission. It is Jesus' instruction to us. Indira Gandhi, Barbara Walters, Isabella Thoburn, Dorothy Sayers, Sacagawea, Elizabeth Blackwell, Sandra Day O'Connor, Sally Ride, Golda Meir. Do I have you wondering yet what those have in common? Shirley Chisholm, Francis Perkins, Amelia Earhart, Harriet Tubman, Margaret Burke White, Margaret Thatcher, Marie Curie, Shakuntala Davy, Clara Swain, Margaret Albright, Rosa Parks. Each of these women had a specific call on her life to do something groundbreaking and rather remarkable. They were from different countries, continents, religions, eras, and fields of endeavor. Some were married, some were mothers. At least one was a very bad mother. But not all of them were married or mothers. The only thing they have in common is that each of them was told she couldn't do something. Couldn't be an astronaut, a scientist, mathematician, doctor, politician. Couldn't sit in the front of the bus or lead a country. No, she can't. No, she can't. But this isn't their story today. This is the story of a woman who fulfilled another scripture whose name I cannot recite because it is unknown. She isn't famous. Most of the time, her contribution is ignored, but she was the first missionary, the first one to fulfill the great commandment. What was her mission? The same one Jesus gave us all, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. She was first to fulfill the great commission and Jesus hadn't even commissioned it yet. She was an unlikely candidate for the job. She was not only a woman, but an outcast sinner and a Samaritan. Any of those would disqualify her, any one of them. All three made her untouchable, unsendable, inappropriate in the extreme. Possibly you know by now that I'm talking about the woman often called the Samaritan woman at the well. Her story is found in the fourth chapter of John And it's pretty long if you read it completely. I won't. I'll tell you the story so I can emphasize the parts that I want us to notice. Jesus had been traveling from one place to another and sent the disciples ahead of him. He was in Samaritan country, so this was a bold and unusual thing for him to do. Samaritans, after all, were different. They didn't worship the same. They might even be called the enemy. It wasn't smart or careful to be alone in the place where he was. He sat at the side of a famous well and waited. He was thirsty but had no way to get a drink. So when a woman came along, he asked for one. He showed no surprise that she was alone at that time of the day when women did not go to the well. He knew her whole story already. But she was shocked that a Jew asked her, a Samaritan, for a drink. Much conversation ensued that was equally surprising He revealed to her that he was, is, the Messiah. He also revealed that he knew her whole history, her whole sordid, dark, difficult past. And he offered her forgiveness, redemption, and a new life free of guilt and shame. Her response was to go running back to her village to tell everyone, and next comes an important part that we usually skip. The whole village went back with her to the well. What? Why would they do that? She was a woman so outcast that she wasn't even allowed to go to the well with the other woman to draw water. Why would they listen to her? No one spoke to her. No one listened to her ever. Why now? There are lots of theories about this from those who bother to even notice that this is in there. Some think her posture or face were so changed that people believed her. Some think the villagers felt threatened that there was a Jew at their well and they went to, <laughs> to force him away. Others believe they went with her to prove her wrong. I have a different understanding that comes from my own experience of ministry. I believe she was a successful missionary, not despite being a sinner, a Samaritan, a woman, but because she was a sinning outcast female Samaritan. Not despite it, but because of it. The very things that should have disqualified her made her successful. I want to say that again. The very things that could have disqualified her made her the right person for the job. I forget nowadays that women in ministry can be viewed by some as unusual. I've lived with it for so long. I've forgotten that women in ministry can be viewed as wrong. In these days of gender fluidity, it can even seem ancient and superfluous, no longer relevant. But when I heard God calling me to go proclaim the transformative word, I thought God had the wrong number. I had no models for women in ministry, no frame of reference. They existed, but I hadn't met more than one or two at that time, and I had a lot of arguments against listening to that voice. It took a lot of convincing to get me to follow through in those days there were loud voices against female ministers (laughs) i particularly remember one classmate ernie (laughs) ernie was obnoxious and loud that is a theological conclusion not gossip Ernie loved to argue with female students to prove his point that women didn't belong. He knew just which buttons to push to get people angry, but for some reason, Ernie liked me. He'd sat, sit next to me in every class. Maybe it was because I didn't get mad at him, I didn't argue with him, I laughed at him, I thought he was hilarious. One day we were in the coffee shop during a class break and Ernie called out to me across the long coffee shop, hey Peg, do you think if more men answered the call God would stop calling women? All conversation in the coffee shop stopped that day. I was stunned and didn't answer, couldn't answer. Ernie was actually implying that God called women. (laughs) This was huge for Ernie. But from a nearby table, a man's voice spoke up saying, Ernie, If God could use Balaam's donkey to speak truth, God can even use you. I forget the opposition to women in ministry because once I accepted God's call, it was no longer personal, but still it appears now and then. It raises its ugly head just like racism Recently, I started volunteering at a nonprofit vintage store in our community. We moved to Maslin a little bit while back. It, the uh, antique shop where I volunteer raises money to furnish homes for kids who are aging out of the foster system, and for homeless veterans and for victims of domestic violence. And in five years they've furnished 130 apartments. So it's a mission I can get behind. And I was in there dusting and cleaning one day. That's what I do in retirement. I also stage and decorate, I love it. And there was another woman who came in who apparently had shopped there several times. She decided she wanted to volunteer also. Her name is Wanda, so I arranged to meet her for lunch. And uh, it soon became quite apparent when she went on a political ramp that she was probably not in sympathy with the owners of the shop or me. And I said to her, so if those are your religious beliefs, how could you possibly work in a shop that is managed by a gay couple. And no matter what your position is, you probably know that when someone has a very strong position, you can't argue with them on any grounds. And after we discussed Bible for a while, it was getting nowhere, and I said to her, well, you know, the Bible's been used to argue for and against all sorts of things, even women in ministry. And here I am, retired from active ministry. And she said, but you didn't minister to men, did you? Well, yeah, I served a church where I was the senior pastor. Several churches, actually. Sure, i ministered to men. But you didn't preach, you didn't teach men. You couldn't do that. She's from a different tradition where that doesn't happen. Where it can't happen because of a different understanding of Scripture. But my understanding is that the Great Commission applies to each and every one of us, no matter what gender or none that it applies to each and every one of us and that the woman at the well was the first one to fulfill it. I've often preached the Great Commission evangelically, go and do it, Jesus said to do it. Go get it. There are lost souls out there that need to hear Jesus' message of love and forgiveness. Maybe there are some in your own family. But I have learned over the years that the greatest barrier to fulfilling the Great Commission isn't the arguments of others or societal norms or even personal unwillingness. The greatest obstacle to fulfilling the Commission to go and tell the world is self-doubt surely jesus didn't mean me there are others so much better at this let me serve the coffee or mow the lawn or count the money or go build a house for habitat i'm too nervous too tongue-tied too timid too sinful too argumentative too greedy too 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 But the great commission is for everyone, no exceptions, not because of age, abilities, gender, race. It may be a specific call like that of the woman at the well or a more general one like mine, but each of us is called, not despite our differences and foibles, but because of them. Each of us is called to speak God's truth in whatever way we are able because we have already experienced being loved unconditionally by God, just like the Samaritan woman. Jesus told her everything he knew about her and loved her anyway. We are loved not despite who we are, but as we are each and every one of us. Thanks be to God. I am Peg Welch, Heidi's mother in love, and I'm being joined by Ash Welch this morning. Jenny, do we have hand sanitizer somewhere, please? Let us begin. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. Please join me. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will we have broken your wall we have rebelled against your love we have not loved our neighbors we have not heard the cry of the needy forgive us we pray free us for joyful obedience through jesus christ our lord amen Hear the good news christ died for us while we were yet sinners that proves god's love toward us in the name of jesus christ you are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. You are. Glory to God. Amen. This week I got a text from our youngest son who, um, who's who with his wife and daughter worships in the Roman Catholic Church and their four-year-old daughter asked why she couldn't take communion she said to her mother it's just regular bread (laughs) and I texted back she isn't wrong until the words of institution it is just regular bread but then we believe something miraculous happens that we are changed by the real presence of Jesus in that bread. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And he took The cup and he said something strange and wonderful this is the cup of the new covenant poured out in my blood for you and for all drink this in remembrance of me and so in remembrance of Jesus holy acts We offer ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ so that we may be the bread of life for the world today. Amen. Let us pray. Mighty God, we are not worthy to eat the crumbs from your table, but you feed us, you love us, you call us, you send us. Praise be. Amen.
1: Please stand in body or in spirit for a closing hymn.
2: be seated the last thing that we do each Sunday is to remind you that church doesn't end when this worship service is over the message goes with us into our daily lives and the work of the church continues through your help here are some of the ways that you can engage with BUMC in the coming weeks we're heading back to Beach City to help Camp Wanakee prepare for summer Join us next Saturday, May 20th, as we do simple repairs and projects that help keep camp affordable for everyone. All ages and skill levels can join for this. What I have heard is a really, really fun day of cleaning, refreshing, building and basic maintenance around the camp. Plan to join folks from this and other local Methodist churches. Our next bike fix it day is also next Saturday, May 20th from nine to noon, right here in our fellowship hall. And with that, all skill levels can also join us. We need help doing difficult mechanics, but we also need help with washing the bikes and changing out handle grips and things like that. This is truly something, there is something for everyone to do. Our first neighboring lab, and you've been hearing so much about that all through um, April and May, um, but this is the Joy Lab. We'll be meeting for the first time this Tuesday, both in person, and online at noon in the parlor. And if that day doesn't work for you, we'll have others. You just need to let us know what does work and we'll do a bunch of them. Um, But if you can make it Tuesday at noon, bring a brown bag lunch and hear your friends here at church share the ways that they're discovering how to follow Jesus's command to love our neighbor. It is gonna be a very fun time of sharing and fellowship and it may give you a different outlook on being around your house and neighboring the summer um, and again if tuesdays don't work for you um, don't just feel like this is something you can't take part in we can do it on sunday mornings we can do it one evening of the week it can be in person it can be online it can be both it can be outside you name it we can figure something out that'll work for a group um, anyway there are so many ways to be in mission and ministry and get off your donkey here at bumc And if you want to learn more ways or maybe even suggest a ministry that's near and dear to your heart, mark your calendar for next Sunday, May 21st, after the 1030 service um, to join the Missions and Community Engagement meeting that will be in Fellowship Hall. You can lend your voice to the ways that BUMC is in mission. Now let us receive this benediction so we can go and do God's good work.
3: I'm learning that this is a church where I get challenged. Last week, Pastor Kathy challenged me to reach out and connect with a neighbor, right? On Wednesday, we had a family in our home to eat an Indian meal. And this is a family that um, I did not know very well because we're new to the neighborhood. And we have reached out to our neighbors, our next-door neighbors, and said, come for dinner, come for tea, come for lunch. We don't care. And they say, no, we are not. can't come this weekend, can't come next weekend, don't have time. We reached out to folks who were a block away. No, we can't make it. We can't agree on a time when we'll be available. We reached out to our neighbors, and nothing was happening. Then I met this lady who was walking her dog. And she said, oh, you guys are new here. Where are you from? And I said, well, you mean originally or recently? Recently from Galleon, originally from India. And she said, oh, my backyard neighbors whose backyard shares my backyard, they must be from India because when they have their family over, they wear the most beautiful, colorful clothes like Peg's wearing today. And she said, I think they're from India. And I've looked for them over the weeks. And there's no sign of anybody living in that house. The doors are all closed, the windows are all closed. I never see people there. When I walk my dog past their place, two blocks from mine, never see anybody. And then, one Sunday, there was a man and his little girl, about a two-year-old, sitting on the front porch. And I took my little dog over and introduced my dog to them and introduced myself, and they're from India. She was right. There are real people who live in that house. And it turned out they moved into that house just six months before we moved into ours. They are new neighbors just like we are. And so a little conversation began just two weeks ago and it developed into dinner at our house. And guess what? On Wednesday night, Peg and I became grandparents to their little girls because their grandparents are far across the oceans. Little girls, five-year-old and two-year-old. We reached out to our neighbors and look where it got us. We have new neighbors and we are new neighbors and we're new friends. That's how it works. Jesus commissioned a woman at the well and she brought a whole village, a whole town to meet him. Can we not meet somebody down the street from us or anybody we come in contact with and invite them to come into contact with Christ? Sometimes, without using words, just by living a life of love. In the Hebrew language that Jesus knew so well, there's a word called called shalom. You've heard the word shalom? It means more than serenity or peace. It means, also it means wholeness, wholeness. So I like to end my worship services by saying, go in peace. And then I invite you to respond with the words, and not in pieces are you ready go in peace and not in pieces amen